I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. This feature is called Entrepreneurs Ask, and it's an opportunity to ask your most burning, difficult questions to Alon and other experts at Razcorp, where they won't shy away from straight talk and real answers. Today's question is from Nelly, an entrepreneur based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Hi, Alon. Hi, Gareth. I've seen that you have a book called Lose the Business Plan. But the bank says I need one to get a loan. So what do I do now? Thanks, Nelly, for that question. In fact, I get that question often. The question really is about the semantics of the name of the book. And the book is called Lose the Business Plan. So the hypothesis in the book is that you need to do the business plan, then lose the business plan. But in our environment and many other environments across the world where I have had experience, I see that there is a whole industry around the creation of business plans, that there are third parties doing business plans on behalf of other people. And for me, this is like getting somebody else to exercise for you or to train for you when you're wanting to do a marathon. Alon and his team have assisted 13,000 businesses over the last two decades. And the knowledge and insights they have gained during this time are available to us all through the various podcasts and resources Racecorp produces. In line with Nelly's question, here's their interesting approach to business plans. In Racecorp, we actually have changed the name of a business plan to a business think. And why we do that is because we want to ensure that the entrepreneur thinks through each element of the business case and understands its intricacies. And if asked by an investor or bank manager, why this, why that, why the other, that they have the ability to ask. If you go back to the history of where I started to write this book, it actually came from a, an incident where an entrepreneur presented a business plan to me that was produced by a third party. It was for a printing business. They had literally had the business plan produced by a third party with some thud factor, and we'll talk about that just now, and they presented it to me. And when I asked them about details around the business plan, they couldn't answer anything. And that to me is really, really short-sighted. But it went a little bit further because the people who did the business plan had their name actually on the business plan itself. They were professional business plan creators. Two weeks later, I actually phoned up this company because if they were exposed to entrepreneurs and we were, there was an opportunity to do business. And I went to visit this business. It was actually based in the CBD in a small little office, probably around maybe 50, 60 square meters with literally one desk in the front, very much like a school classroom setup. And there were six desks facing forward. And in each desk was planted a 20-something-year-old young individual who was a university graduate or still at university. These people were the people who were doing the so-called desktop research. There was a template. This guy had created a template, and he had these six people actually producing these business plans on his behalf. Youth who had literally no experience. And how you could pick that up actually in the business plan for the printing business was that when they spoke about the market size, you saw there was absolutely no understanding of the printing industry. And this particular business plan 
was for a litho printing business, but it included the universe of all printing things for everything that was printed. So they spoke about printing on pens and printing on clothing and all sorts of other types of printing. So you could see that there was a really disconnect between the individual who was writing the business plan to the expertise required around that. And that came through because I had experience around printing. So I asked, how can you say this is a litho printing business and you're including all sorts of other printing and the entrepreneur then would go, ah, 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 ah. And that really was the light bulb moment that this thing called a business plan, which was a requirement for the banks, which nearly asked about, was actually not worth the paper it was written on. Upon finding himself face-to-face with six young business plan writers, Alon then investigated further. Here's also where we learn more about that thud factor that Alon spoke about earlier. I saw these individuals and I actually asked who did this business plan, I brought it with me. And uh, yeah, it happened to be an early 20s person. And then I asked them what they knew about printing. I didn't want to make assumptions. But it was very evident that this was a Google-based desktop research So I'm very cynical, first of all, that these business plans are put together properly, especially if it's third parties. Second of all, I'm very, very cynical and skeptical about whether they are actually read, especially in the banking fraternity, if they're properly read. And my experience has been that the thicker the business plan is, the higher the thud quality on the desk, the more likely you're going to get your loan. That might not be true, but... That's smart view anyway. An interesting thought is, while banks may be able to employ someone like Alon to review and approve these business plans and deals, I would venture to say that the teams they have in place do not have the experience necessary to see with entrepreneurial vision like Alon or his team. A further testament to the limitations of institutional entrepreneurial experience can be understood through the following. I'm busy working on something right now where there is a fund who has funded some businesses who are now failing and they've come to us in order to see if we can try and turn the situation around because the the funds that have been loaned have not been paid back. So happens that the one individual that has been funded, I know, I met her through one of our other programs and she approached us many, many years ago to invest in her. But In terms of my interaction with her, I worked out quite quickly that she didn't have blue heart and that this is not an individual I would back. And here's the contradiction, is that if you looked at the investment pack, the investment thesis for how they invested in her, first of all, it's a beautiful document, very different to the business plan story that I spoke about earlier. They did an incredible job of actually understanding that business. But what they missed in the whole story was the individual, because The business plan is one thing. The execution of that business plan comes from the leadership team and particularly the entrepreneur. In this case, I did not believe she was entrepreneurial. I thought she was effectively, she wanted a business on the side while she could go around and get lots of press. And so I picked that up early and so I didn't invest. It comes back about eight years later to me that somebody else invested and that had that experience that on paper the business looked incredibly appealing and that it would produce the cash flows required to pay back the loan and it would have a very generous ROI return on investment. But it wasn't the case because they didn't look at the individual. And so 
my hypothesis, and this is sort of the beginning of Blue Heart, is that always this is about the individual or the leadership team. And we've spoken about this before in other podcasts, yeah, that the jockey is the critical element in terms of making something successful. The other thing that is important to know, and any entrepreneur knows this, the moment you've put the last full stop on a business plan, it becomes irrelevant in the sense that when you hit reality, it never happens according to the plan. It's about your ability to be flexible, about your ability to see opportunity in the moment, about your ability to navigate obstacles that is the difference between success or failure. And that cannot be translated into a business plan. So for me, it's always about looking at the individual in combination with the business plan. I don't think a business plan is unnecessary. I think it's necessary in terms of, we've spoken about this before also on the podcast about city. Does this business have a compelling economic right to exist? It's a telling question. Have you been as thorough as absolutely possible in your qualification of the opportunity you are pursuing? If the answer is no, it doesn't mean you aren't a great or potentially great entrepreneur. It just means that you were meant to hear this podcast and need to put maximum effort into a business think process. Let's continue. Here follows a warning, a red flag to all those who are pursuing funding using a business plan. I think one of the unspoken constraints around business plans is the fact that if you have a business plan and an investor invests in a business plan, and I've seen this often, it becomes an inflexible document in the sense that the investor who's sitting outside the context of the business says, listen, I invested in this business case. And if you, the entrepreneur, are now coming to me with a new opportunity, well, we have to start again almost because I bought into that plan. And then you can go blue in the face saying, but, 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 at the time I thought this, but now I know more. But this makes you look bad in front of the investor so you don't say it. I know many entrepreneurs who built their businesses slowly, one transaction at a time, one client at a time, because they rejected the possibility of having their business's fate in the hands of funders or shareholders. And investors' goals are often very different to your own. And I've been on investment committees where I've seen this in action, where we've made an investment and a year or two later down the road, there is another opportunity that presents and there is the skittishness amongst the investment committee to look at something new on the journey. Whereas a, an angel investor who's generally far more prone to risk is more likely to say, okay, let's go for it. Because they understand that effectively what happens is the longer you're alive in inverted commas as an entrepreneur, the more opportunity presents, which is what you want. And then the discipline is which ones do you take on and which ones do you not. I stopped along there because I wanted to understand more about this discipline that helps one determine which opportunities to pursue and which ones to not. That discipline comes from, in the podcast where we talk about strategic opportunism, seeing an opportunity and relating that back to your core competencies, your critical competencies, your components, your clients your channel partners. It's about all those things that if you can relate it back to your strategy, then you do it. And if it doesn't relate back to your strategy, then you don't do it. Many entrepreneurs, particularly young entrepreneurs, have not built up the ability to discern 
what is opportunistic and what is strategically opportunistic. And that's where a little bit of gray hair comes in and says, we can bow out from this opportunity. It's not for us, it's not for us. Throughout this conversation, Alon has been referring to a number of other discussions we've had. If you're interested in listening to these, you'll find them on raisecorp.com, along with a whole host of other tools, articles, and valuable insights that will help you as you pursue business success. Today, thanks to Nelly's question, we're talking business plans. And what we've heard is that business plans are so much more than just some document. The process of creating a business plan is meant to help us think in a certain way, ask intelligent questions, and find evidence that supports our business's primary hypothesis. Once we have this in place, we are in a much stronger position to secure funding or investment. So what is that one critical thing Alon is looking for in an entrepreneur during a funding or investment type interaction? Here's the answer in Alon's own words. I read business plans. I then literally tear them up and ask one question. And I've also spoken about this often with you, Gareth. I ask the entrepreneur, how do you make money in this business? How is money made? What is the machinery where $100 goes in the top and $130 falls out the bottom? How does that actually happen? Where is the value addition in the business? And if they can't answer that question, I'm really not interested. And sometimes it's simple. We buy for one and sell for two. That, that's fine. That's an answer. It's that simple. But other times it's like we buy these inputs. We take it through a manufacturing process. And then we package it and then sell it. Okay, let's look at the manufacturing process. Let's understand that. How competitive is that? Are there any opportunities for economies of scale in that? And so I start to unpick from there. But they have to understand the process of how money is generated in their business. And business plans don't often express that. So I want to know that the entrepreneur knows how money is made. Because the document, generally after the money has been paid across, goes into a bottom drawer and collects dust. And I don't know any entrepreneurs that follow a business plan afterwards. So what's the strategy? It's not the business plan. What is the strategy? And that is, in my opinion, this LSD, which is the living strategy document that you should have in your business. And working with the entrepreneurs that I do, where I invest in them, they all have to have this thing called an LSD. And the important word there is it's living, it's iterating, it's taking into consideration new knowledge, new opportunities, new threats, new whatever is, is coming in. And so the whole document then is sensitive to all the newness and evolves. But not to the point where it's just this left one day and right the next and left the next day and right the next. Yes, there's a zigzag, but the zigzag is contained, metered. It's better not to have a high frequency change in your strategy. Why then is there so much hype around business plans? Who is the business plan really for? Let's go to the history of business plans. So business plans were actually generated in the US in, I think it was the 50s, the banks in America started to go across state. They started becoming national entities. Before what happened in the US was that banks used to have relationships with individuals. So I know you here, you Gareth, you come to me as the bank manager and you say to me, Mr. Reza, I'd like to borrow $100,000 to buy a tractor for my farm. And I go, Gareth, I know you since you're a little pipsqueak and you're a naughty guy, 
but you've always been honorable. I'll lend you the money. I know your father, etc., etc. So there was social cohesion. I knew you. There was relationship in that. As the bank started to then scale, the problem was that relationship fell away. Risk went up. And social cohesion, as a result, dropped. So I couldn't come to you and say, listen, Gareth, you know, you promised me, do I need to go and speak to your dad about this? I couldn't do that because I don't know you. You're your ID number to me. So the banks realized this wasn't scaling well. So they went to the universities, one university in particular, who came up with the idea of a business plan. And effectively what it is was a, a templatized questionnaire that unearthed, teased out the risk and opportunity in a business. And that then became the go-to document for the banks. And then all the banks adopted it, and then it became the requirement by banks. But it was actually generated only in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s in America. It was a de-risking exercise based on the fact that there was no more relationship with you. But I've read four papers on the relationship between a business plan and business success. Three out of the four say that there's absolutely no correlation between a business plan and business success. And the fourth one, which was written in 1994, shows actually a negative correlation between the two. And that's a function predominantly of around the inflexibility of business plans. And also the fact that business plans are basically a, a construct that is generated for a banking system or financial system that wants to invest. So there's almost this pressure, just give me something that sounds good and I'll, I'll base all my assertions on that and then I'll give you money based on whether the curve looks good. The crash of 2000, the, the, the dot bomb in 2000, the tech bubble that burst there where every single company that basically had a physical business that tried to take it online came up with a dot com version of their business and the banks were going mad for these businesses the vcs were going mad for them the angel funders were going mad for them but they had to produce something to justify it because they had to choose still so whichever had the best curve and the most compelling sort of sexy idea was the ones that got the money and of course there's a big difference between having a physical business and then moving even today you know, 20 years later, it's still not that easy to take a physical business and take it online. There's certain nuances that need to be overcome in order to make that valid. So that's what happened is everyone wanted these business plans and there was a mechanism. Here's the checklist. There's the curve. I'm going to get my money in year three back and we're going to make lots of money. So I'll invest in this idea. I invest in the idea was thinking, not I invest in the entrepreneur. Let's recap before hearing a final word from Elon. Number one, entrepreneurs aren't fooling anyone with a thud-heavy, shiny business plan, especially not investors, funders, or other entrepreneurs with many years of experience. Number two, what investors are really interested in is how well you understand your business. Number three, are you strategically opportunistic because you understand and believe in your strategy? And finally, number four, think of your business plan much more as a business think process and opportunity than as a document. Here's a final word from Elon. So Tonelli, we live in a pragmatic world where I understand that banks require and venture capitalists require this thing called a business plan. 
But whether they invest in the business plan or invest in you, it's critical that you, first of all, that you do it, and then you internalize it and understand it and withstand any kind of questioning. And so for me, there's two parts to a business plan. There's the written piece, and then there is, let's call it the verbal piece. And what I highly recommend to entrepreneurs is for them to go to somebody within their network who's a, who is an entrepreneur and have a mock panel where they ask all the tough questions and can hear whether they are able to answer those questions in a convincing and valid way. If there's no validity, it's no use trying to put on makeup onto the fact that you're just telling the story in a better way, whereas underneath it's broken. Go fix that thing. Go change that thing. Go change the modeling. And then come back and do it again. Because ultimately, Nelly, you're going to be running that business and you need to ensure that it works. I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I have. If you want to hear more just like this, visit racecorp.com and explore the various podcasts, live stream recordings, articles, and more available there. You can also follow Racecorp on your favorite social media platform where their team will keep you updated on all their latest releases. I'm Gareth Armstrong, and once again, it has been a pleasure.